Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Kimberly Majeski. Hey, Kimberly. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good. I'm always better when I see you walk into our studio because you have a big world. I mean, you see the big world out there. You <laughs> experience life on a college campus where you teach students, undergrads and grads, right? That's right. You have a husband who has his own business that's flourishing. You travel widely. I mean, there's so much in this world that you have seen, experienced. I know that when you walk into the room, I'm going to have my mind stretched and dared a little bit in healthy ways. Thanks for coming alongside. Oh, thanks for having me. I will always come if you say those nice things about me. Well, they're nice, but they're true. And because of your broad exposure in this world and in life, even though you're just still so young. That's right. Just just a babe. In in all that experience, do you ever find yourself observing that in this world there's just not enough? Sometimes we're in a world of need. There are people who need food. There are people who need relationships. There are people Mm -hmm. who need hope. I mean, just we live in a world that seems like there's never enough of the things that give life. Do you ever see that? Absolutely. I think probably most of our culture lives in a never enough sort of posture most of the time in need and um, seemingly not able to find the resources that they can. Sometimes we think we have enough or we might have more than we need materially even, but it's not enough to make us feel whole and complete. There's just something out there that drives us to reach for more. And, and that brings us to our program today, because one of the most famous stories ever told that's actually entered into the English vernacular. In other words, the story is so famous that even people who don't know the story mm. understand a word or a phrase and, and it, it triggers a thought. Right. It's an emblem. Mm-hmm. And that's feeding the 5,000. Mm-hmm. I mean, even people who are not familiar with the origin of that phrase have heard the phrase. That's they right. know that something came out of nothing or, or something was multiplied. Feeding the 5,000 is to do the impossible, to make uh-huh. enough available. But actually, if you read the story itself, and it's a Bible story in the New Testament, it's told four times in four different books. There aren't many miracles that get that repetitive headlight. Right. You see that it wasn't just enough. There were thousands of people who didn't have food to eat out in the wilderness, but they got more than enough because after after there was enough food distributed to everyone, five loaves and two fish, Jesus blesses it, and now everyone is fed, and at the end they collect 12 baskets more. Mm-hmm. It's more than enough. I'm just reminding us of that story because in life there are moments when I feel like I don't have enough and I'm not even sure what to do. I don't have enough power. I don't have enough hope. I don't have enough control. I don't have enough dream. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough forward motion. I have too much shame. I have too much guilt. I have too much sense of loss. I mean, life is a juxtaposition of this longing for more of what gives me life and dragging along stuff that takes life out of me. And today we want to talk about, in this series, More Than Enough, about steps we can take in life that might actually bring us into an intersection with the one who actually provided 12 extra baskets, more than enough, when everyone else thought they'll never be enough. Stay with us. So Kimberly, that feeding of the 5,000 story, we can find it in four gospel narratives. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a very important and pivotal narrative in the story of Jesus. And the reason that it shows up um, so pervasively is because 
as you know, in the first century, one of the major problems of Jesus' hearers would have been that they didn't have enough food. Jesus teaches them to pray, give us, Lord, our daily bread. So literally, we're talking about a population where 90% of the people would not have known what they'd have to eat that day. So for Jesus to provide in this way and overly provide an overabundance far beyond more than what they needed is huge. It was astonishing. Anyone who was familiar with the story, anyone who was there, anyone who heard the story from somebody who was there would never forget it because it was so relevant and so immediate. But even in a world of supermarkets and uh, a world where food is not uh, in short supply, even though we still have parts of our world where that is true, even in that world, the, the lessons of the story still stand out. Jesus' capacity to meet us at our point of need. We're not actually talking about that story so much, though, because we're talking about a series of stories about Jesus in John's Gospel. He tells the story of the Feeding 5,000, but he also describes several other moments where Jesus intervenes in people's personal journey in a way that gives them more than enough. It may not be about food, but it may be about hope. It may be about altering circumstances so that they have more than enough to go with going forward, a reason to live, more than enough reason to just celebrate life. His intersection supernaturally with people 20 centuries ago recorded in John's Gospel actually, I believe, are possible in some mysterious ways for us to replicate or to taste even now. Hmm. What are the principles we can learn from these stories that might allow us to walk through a door from scarcity into plenty? Mm -hmm. I'm not talking here about material wealth. I'm talking about the way in which we experience life and celebrate life and have life, as Jesus described, abundantly, more than enough, not just life, but life abundant. It's a more than enough life that allows us to go to sleep at night thanking God, I'm so glad to be alive. So in John's Gospel, there are eight stories. John is an eyewitness. He's a guy who walks with Jesus. He knows Jesus personally. He's touched by Jesus. He writes this reflection about his walk with Jesus, we think later in his lifetime. He's not writing in the immediate sense. He's not chronicling events as they happen. Life has moved on. Jesus is no longer in person in the flesh by his side, but he's looking backward over his experiences with Jesus. And he says at the end of his book that if he wrote down everything that Jesus did, well, there would not be enough books in the world to contain them. So he's acknowledging there are a lot of things with Jesus that are not written down. We don't even know what happened. There are so many life-giving moments that they can't all be recorded. But somehow he chooses eight events in the narrative of Jesus. Each of them, it seems to me, describes a moment where Jesus comes alongside and the people that he touches, they walk away with more than enough. Last week I was here with Jay Harvey and we talked about the turning of water into wine. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a story of more than enough, really. Mm -hmm. It's about how a crisis developed and Jesus responded with more than enough. Well, today, Kimberly, let's dive into another story. It's in John chapter 4 and it's, it's a pretty fantastic tale. In other words, when you just read it at face value, it is miraculous. There's no doubt about it. This is John chapter 4. Remember, John is writing as an eyewitness. He's, he's describing things that he participated in or was standing on the curb watching it take place. This is John chapter 4, verse 46. As Jesus traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. And when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus asked, 
Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. And then Jesus told him, Go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that was the very time Jesus had told him, Your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. There's a lot of drama here. We have real life, real people, real tragedy, real powerlessness, real desperation, and real hope. It all converges in this story. When we come back, Kimberly, I want to unpack it. Sure. Uh, We have the bare bones. We have the facts of the case now. How do the people find Jesus, and how does Jesus respond to them, and what is the outcome? We here at Viewpoint want you to know that we're always glad to hear from you. And uh, I'll give you this toll-free number at the end of the program, but just now you might want to write it down. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we want to hear from you, and you can give us a call. 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. We're by the phone, and we're here because we want to share some life with you and help you understand how you can have more than enough. Kimberly, in the passage we just read from John chapter 4, we have a man who's an official. He's a person of status, it seems. He has some kind of responsibility, has some kind of social station. You might say is recognized in his community by his vocation or his economy or his wealth or his skills. We don't know what it is exactly, but he's an official. He's a person of influence. And people like that, and every community has them, sometimes uh, seem to glide above the problems that other people who have more ordinary pursuits uh, experience. That's how it feels, doesn't it? It, That's how it feels from the outside looking in. That's Uh, right. Often we find out people with status and finances and all the things that we might think provide security are sometimes the most troubled people in our time, right? So it's all a matter of perspective for sure. Well, and the truth is, it doesn't matter how much status or how much money you have, life can throw you some curveballs. Mm-hmm. You can find yourself in the midst of a tragedy where you do not have the wherewithal to find your way out. Mm-hmm. And that's the case here. This man, for whatever station he employed, however prominent or influential or wealthy he might be, he has a child who is desperately ill, and that makes him desperate. That's right. And it's important for us to know that there's a great equalizer in life, that while we imagine that we can be differentiated by what we wear, how we dress, the cars we drive, the house we live in, the bank accounts we accumulate, I mean, all those things at some superficial gaze separate us. But truth is, we're all the same. Mm -hmm. And there's a common thread in humanity. And when we are reduced to that common thread, that's where we find life. This man is going to find life in his crisis. Right. Tragedy is no respecter of persons. And of course, this is um, a tragedy in the making. And um, you can just imagine, doesn't matter what your job is or what your status is, if your baby's sick, that's hard news. And there's nothing you can do about it. Of course, we, 
we want to run to the hospital, and that's fine, and we seek medical attention. But in this context, in this case, this father had done everything plausible to find healing for his son. He believes his son is about to die. His heart is aching, and that puts him in a mode of desperation. All of his clothes, all of his servants, all of his bank accounts, it doesn't matter what he has, none of it matters because his son, his life is in peril. And he calls out to Jesus, and this is part of uh, the thing in John's Gospel that I just love so much, that Jesus is is described as a man who is forever listening for the heart cries around him. He's walking through this world not thinking about his next fancy dinner, the next photo shoot, the next opportunity he has to be on stage or front and center. We believe, John believed, that he was the creator God, the very representation of God in human form. He could have played his hand very differently, but the nature of who Jesus is, the nature of who God is, is one whose heart is bent and broken for those he loves most, which are that which is made in his image, men and women, you and me. So here we have a scenario where a man is desperate, his son is desperate, and he's crying out. The scripture says he begged Jesus. It wasn't just an incident, well, you know, if you got the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I can crowd you in later. You know, I'm, I'm hurrying to the this or that, The dad doesn't talk that way. The dad is very intentional. He's Mm -hmm. seeking Jesus out. He hears that Jesus is nearby. He's not even in his own town. Mm -hmm. He's not in Capernaum, which is the town where the man with the sick son lives. He's in another place. And he runs to find Jesus. And he's not willing to let any stone remain unturned till I find this guy. And then he begs him, please come to me. I think we miss a lot of blessing because we're not earnest enough. We're not devoted enough. It's too incidental for us. We just have our own will and way. But when we get to a place where we realize we're not able to solve the problem, when we are able to have our heart in a broken place where we're willing to go anywhere and to do anything to find that hope, Jesus is tuning in. He is hearing you. One of the things I love about John's gospel, this first person account, is that it it shows us Jesus' relationship with real people and his response to, to real needs. And John tells us in the 21st chapter that he wrote this book so that people would believe. And what we see is stories of Jesus in relationship and Jesus um, answering with the miraculous. And so it's it's interesting here that this man has heard about Jesus. Jesus has done the earlier miracle in Cana. And so he knows Jesus has... Um, some sort of power resident in him and in his desperation this is what he this is where he goes to this this is his last and only hope this is where he reaches out and he finds this man who he's heard has done this other thing and says will you do this for me and the man who's asking Jesus to come and heal his son may not fully comprehend who Jesus is He doesn't have to have all of his uh, theological degrees in line. Right. He may never have been to a house of worship before, though that's probably unlikely. He probably was in a house of worship. But whoever he was, it didn't matter about his past or his present or his future. It didn't matter about anything except he was so anxious for help, he was willing to take a chance with Jesus. Precious Redeemer and Friend, 
More than enough, and that's our subject today. We've been reading a story about a man whose son is desperately ill, near death. He doesn't know what to do. He hears about Jesus, and he runs out to find Jesus. He even leaves his hometown to find Jesus, who had been in Cana of Galilee. And this guy lived in Capernaum. Now, Kimberly, you and I have both been there. Yes. Uh, Cana and Capernaum are not so far by car, but it's mm-hmm. a it's a far distance if you're on foot. Mm-hmm. We're not exactly sure where they intersected, but we have the picture of this man running out of his hometown mm-hmm. towards the hills, which will have a narrow passageway that'll get through the hills to where Cana and Nazareth mm-hmm. are uh, on the other side of Galilee. And he finds Jesus and he begs him to come. And Jesus at first is, is like, why, why are you asking me? Mm-hmm. And he goes down deeper, this man, in talking to Jesus. I'm not just here to see a showboat. Mm-hmm. I'm not here trying to manipulate you or for you to do something for me. I just love my boy and I need help. And Jesus replies very directly, go home. Your son is well. And what's the next thing the scripture says? It says the man did what? He went back home. He believed what Jesus had said and started home. He believed on it. Mm-hmm. And he acted on his belief. See, this is where many of us stumble. To believe something and not act on it isn't really believing it. And Jesus said, your son is well, go home. That man now has a choice to make. 
do I really believe that? Shall I run after some other teacher? Shall I try and find some other remedy? Right. That doesn't make sense. I wanted you to come to my house. You're not responding the way I had expected you to respond. I, I need you to be here with me. I'm afraid to go back home. What if I get there and you're gone and my son is dead? I mean, there's all kinds of ways in which his head can spin on this. Mm-hmm. But at the word of Jesus, he simply acts on it. He Something happens in mm-hmm. his heart. He believes. And because he believed, he actually went back home without Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when he's on his way home, he gets word that his son has been made well. And he calculates that the time of the son's healing is exactly when Jesus was speaking to him earlier. And that all the more cements in his mind faith. Faith is like this, though. You, you have a little thread of faith. Mm-hmm. And, and then you are willing to act a little bit with that thread of faith. I'm not so sure-footed, but there's something here. I'm going to give that Jesus a chance. I, I, I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out, but I'll give it a chance. That's a little bit of faith. Then you find yourself in the company of Jesus, and I believe this is always true. If you have enough faith to reach out to Jesus in some way, somehow, you're going to find him coming close by. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to be faced with a proposition. Do I trust what he says? What he says to you may be, in the scripture, he, there may be a, a passage of scripture where he has spoken already and it comes home into your heart. You realize, oh, that's for me. Maybe he's speaking to you through other believers who also walk with Jesus and, and you're having to make a decision. Well, I think Jesus really talked to me, but whatever it is, am I willing to trust that? And then you're standing still on the road. You have to make another decision. Your faith is growing as you're recognizing that Jesus is actually speaking into your situation. Now I have to act on it. But what I have to act on may not be what I thought I would have to do. Yeah, I think that's an important point. I just, as, as we sit here and even discuss this, my heart goes out to our listener who may be hearing this and ask God to heal his little boy and it didn't happen. Um, it didn't happen the way he had hoped it happened. And um, to talk about what it means to have faith, even when the answer that we get back from Jesus is not the one that we wanted. Um, it still doesn't mean a miracle hasn't taken place. It just didn't unfold the way that, that we had thought it, it would. And that's, that's even a higher, a higher amount of faith to be able to walk into that and say that this looks like it's not turning out the way I had hoped, the way I needed it to, but to be aware that you're putting your faith and trust in Jesus, and you're only in the middle of the story. There's more to come. And you're going to have to get up and walk away one way or another. And what do you believe as you walk forward? Mm -hmm. This man chose to believe. Jesus has intervened. And to your point, Kimberly, the response of Jesus may not always lead us to a pattern or train of events that we imagined. I really don't mm-hmm. believe this guy thought that he'd find Jesus and then just leave Jesus on the road and walk back home. Sure. But that's what Jesus said to do. Mm-hmm. And yes, the faith is growing as you act by faith. And mm-hmm. that isn't always by human reason. It's not always a calculus that that's you right. have made, but you are by faith trusting Jesus. Now, of course, it's not always easy in this world with so many voices and so many things demanding our attention to navigate to that pure word of Jesus for us. And this is why the scripture matters. You have to be able to to authenticate your understanding of the word of Jesus in your own personal journey by the word 
committed to the printed page. You have to have some authentication from other believers. We all have to navigate to that place of, of pure understanding of what Jesus is saying to us. But when you have that sense that Jesus, in my desperation, is responding to me, you can take a step in that direction with us right now with a prayer. Our Father, we're so thankful today that you've sent Jesus into this world. We're thankful for the record in John's Gospel. We're thankful for the story of this man whose boy was made whole. We're thankful for the miracle of faith, that we can know you, that we can ask you, we can beg you, we can hear from you, and we can actually believe you. For everyone who's joining us in this prayer, for everyone who's desperate, for everyone who's crying out, and they're sharing with you right now in their own still small voice, where they need to have enough to go forward, give them more than enough. And I pray, Lord, before 30 days pass, from this moment, they will know you have heard their prayer and you are walking by them and you are walking with them and give them the courage to deepen their faith by acting on what they know. We're so thankful, Lord, that you are hearing, you are doing, and you are right with us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to know more about how you can be in contact with this Jesus who gives more than enough, we are always glad to hear from you. Dial this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, toll free, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. We're right by the phone. Kimberly, I know some people aren't so sure about picking up the phone to dial, but they might be willing to go online. Where could they go? You could visit us online at cbhviewpoint.org and send us a message, and we'll send you one back. CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's our moniker. That's who we are. cbhviewpoint.org. At the last, if you prefer, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you call us on the phone, check us out online, or send me a letter by post, please let us hear from you this week. Well, so much to think about in a world where there's never enough to know that there is a Jesus who is more than enough, and he can breathe life into us and give us life that's more than enough if we'll just be surrendered in our desperation to him. We're so glad you joined us too, and we hope you'll join us again next week as we continue walking through John's gospel with this eye to more than enough. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.